0: This podcast is sponsored by Wellteen. When a balanced diet isn't top of the to-do list, support the growing nutritional needs with Wellteen multivitamins, available in specific him and her formulas. Made with iron and vitamin C, which contribute to the reduction of tiredness and fatigue, it's added support for busy teenagers taking their first steps into adulthood. Wellteen, from Vitabiotics, the UK's number one vitamin company. Available from Superdrug.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Zoe Williams, your host for Healthful, Super Drugs brand new podcast discussing the key topics that affect your health now. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about puberty. We've likely all been there from mood swings to hormones and acne, but how do you tackle these tricky conversations with the children in your life? Joining me today in the hope of answering this very question are Jamie and Tom, aka the award-winning Daddy and Dad, who have shared their adoption story, as well as the stories of other LGBTQ plus parents on their blog, and Peter Todd, the former page three model who now uses her Instagram at Peter Toddler to discuss life as a mum of four. So welcome, everybody. And to start us off, what I'd like us to do is go back in time and think about when we were all learning about puberty and experiencing it. Do you remember conversations with your parents or teachers about the changes that we could expect to happen?
0: I personally don't remember getting too much at school apart from the girls and boys were separated off. And basically the boys, from what we could gather when they came back, were all just laughing their heads off because obviously that sort of stuff's hysterical at that age. And the girls all look like they'd just seen like a trailer to the most horrific horror film you've ever heard before. Just like, what's gonna happen? And every month. And then at what at some point we're expected to do to do what? It was literally, I just remember feeling like we were getting a bit of a rough end of the deal from this. They were all like laughing and joking. And then it was pretty much if anyone has any questions, you can write them down and put them in the secret box. And basically no one actually wrote anything that they wanted to know. Everyone was just daring each other to write stuff to get the teacher to say out loud that might make them uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) I think it's a similar experience for me. What, What do you both remember? Our experiences were completely
2: different because I basically went through my early years and puberty without any advice at all from anybody. And that even goes as far as I wasn't taught how to shave or how to treat my spots. In fact, in the end, because I guess my spots were so obvious, that was the thing my parents did help me with. Um, and I spoke to my mum and dad about this this morning on the phone. And actually, it wasn't something they deliberately avoided. I think it just, they felt I was confident and cool and didn't really need any help. But actually, I was oh. pulling at the time, but yeah. on the other hand. Yeah, I
3: my memory of, of that sort of stuff at school is, is a bit fuzzy. I've got this bizarre memory of putting a condom on a banana <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, the and we, we, yeah. we were separated out boys and girls. And I do remember the sort of horrified look on the girls' faces. I think they watched, uh, they watched a video on on um, giving birth, which, I mean, uh, it must have been pretty traumatic, I guess. But actually, my parents were pretty straightforward about the whole thing and uh, kind of quite matter of fact about it.
1: The one thing that really sticks in my mind really clearly, and actually, we weren't separated. We were, We all sat and watched this video together. And I think that was about it. But just the one thing that's always stuck in my mind is the boy who changes to a man. And over the course of about five seconds, he goes from boy to man and <laughs> his voice goes, hello. <laughs> it's the one thing that kind of always sticks in, in my memory. So what about your parents, Peter? Did they have any conversations with you? Can you remember?
0: I think my mum maybe at some point was just like, oh, this is for you. And it was like a sanitary towel, like starter pack. And I remember think, feeling a bit disappointed because I thought I was getting something really fun, being a bit like cheers and chucking it to the back of a drawer somewhere. But no, we didn't really have any massive, and my mum's quite a matter of fact person, but I don't think we really had any massive conversations about it. I remember then going and frantically rummaging through my drawer to then find that starter pack that I wasn't massively excited about at the time. And from what I can remember, she was quite open when I then sort of went to her and said like, look, I think I've started my period. I think whatever. And she was like, then we were fine, but there was no real prelude to that. So it was kind of when it happened, we dealt with it, but there wasn't any kind of like preparation to it.
1: Can you remember like just the feeling at the time? So those years of your life when you're very you know at secondary school and your body's starting to change and you know hormones are raging through your body can can you remember just what that felt like and what emotions you had during that time that's to everybody
2: I was pretty nervous about it to be honest because all my friends were girls so I didn't have any boys that were going through the same sort of thing that I was and I've got a younger sister who, in terms of growing up, even though she's younger, was probably a couple of years ahead of me. It was a nerve-wracking time. Really difficult. I found myself sort of hiding changes to my body away, you know. And I've always felt like a bit of remorse and regret about how that all went when I was younger. And I've made a real conscious decision that I'm not going to repeat those same mistakes with my kids because what it comes down to is sort of a prudish kind of thing that our parents perhaps in that those the 80s maybe were a little bit less of an open time but I don't know. it just feels like it's the conversations a little bit more open nowadays
1: but but that that stays with you doesn't it you know it's, it's no wonder that we are a generation where there's so much stigma attached to puberty and our bodies changing and boobs and balls and all of that and you know I experienced that as a GP people are so uncomfortable to talk about certain parts of their body but I guess it's no wonder when the generation that taught us it was quite taboo back then you only really spoke about those things if you needed to but hopefully well we'll come on to in a moment talking about um your ideas around how you'll you'll change things with with your own children. Um, But Peter, do you remember how you felt in that period of your life?
0: Well, I was quite late to that puberty party. I was really like, my name was Peter for one. So I had a boy's name. I had, I was like really gangly. I had horrifically short hair with like a really aggressive, like shaved in step to the back that my mum had decided was like really going to help my time at school. I was always quite I'd never been somebody that was particularly bothered about how I'd looked or what I wasn't necessarily a very girly girl. So I wasn't really waiting, sitting there like, Oh, I wonder when I'm going to be able to wear a bra because I was just like climbing a tree or something like that. But where I was quite late, a lot of my friends started to sort of be wearing, going out and buying their first bra or all of this stuff before. And I remember thinking, well, I'm a million miles away from that. And then I sort of, remember going like when I, that first bit of Stark in secondary school I'd been a massive like I just didn't care really about what anyone thought about me at primary school as long as the teachers like me like I was a massive swat thinking right I'm gonna please is my chance to kind of be whoever I want to be I'm gonna grow my hair because like I've told my mum that's what I want to do and then I sort of went from naught to 100 quite quickly like I pretty much got boobs overnight and I was a bit like I don't really know what to do with these and then I found that Kind of obviously, there's a lot of hormones swirling around. I found that bit of suddenly an interest not in me as a person, but in the fact that suddenly I'd got a pair of boobs. Yeah, a really strange thing. Which, yeah, my mum's side of the family all come from missionaries, so it's like a super religious side of the family. So that kind of any talk really about that was, unless you had to deal with it, it was never really had. So yeah, I found it a little bit daunting. I'd not really had any idea how to navigate that bit. And so kind of just made it up as, as I went along really. But yeah, it, it felt alien. It felt like I'd suddenly like swapped into somebody else's body, like Lindsay Lohan should be like playing my counterpart somewhere along the line.
1: It's quite difficult that, isn't it though? Because I mean, our, our whole identity um how we identify as a person, all of a sudden a huge part of that, the way in which we look and the way in which our body is behaving mm. changes. And like you say, sometimes it can be pretty much overnight, you switch from not only feeling differently, but people start behaving differently around you. Yeah. And that that can be really tricky. Do you think guys experience that in the same way that the girls do? Yeah,
3: I think so. I, I have this memory of coming across a book at home when I when I was a kid. Probably, I came across it probably a lot earlier than I, I should have done. So it was a, it was a book that my my mum had bought for my two sisters who were much older than me, and it was a, grow, a book about growing up, about what the, the changes that your body was going to experience. And I I came across it. I was probably rooting around in my sister's room, and I came across this book, and I was going through the pages. And I was nowhere near kind of ready for it. So I kind of was looking into the future, bizarrely, and I was quite excited about the sorts of things that I was really scared. Some of them was quite scary, but I had a lot of uh, anticipation because I was sort of expecting this stuff to happen and it wasn't quite happening to me yet. Um, so there was that, that sort of level of sort of excitement, anticipation, worry, concern, all these feelings, all these thoughts were going through my head, probably earlier than... My parents had expected me to sort of see this information. Very strange sort of time. Do you
2: know, for boys, I was quite a shy boy. As I mentioned, like most of my friends were girls as well. There was a lot of peer pressure, particularly like in the changing rooms and stuff at school, where there was kind of a divide between these lads that were really grown up looking and with loads of bravado and sporty and muscly, with like hairy armpits and stuff. And then there were like kids like me that were a little bit sort of still childish looking and quiet and... Actually, that kind of vibe made it a bit worse, actually, for kids like me that were a bit shy because it always makes you less want to kind of embrace the changes that you're going
1: through. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can imagine that. I, could, and, and I think in some ways you can almost turn that on its head for girls because girls, I think, feel more comfortable in their bodies before they change. Like when you're starting to get breast buds and hair in certain places and all of that you're the ones that want to shy away and it's the the girls whose bodies haven't yet changed that perhaps feel a bit more comfortable as they are. Yeah. So interesting. Um, Tom and Jamie, was there anything that now when you go back and reflect that you wish your parents had had conversations with you about that they didn't? For
3: me, my, my dad kind of took on the challenge talking to me about growing up and i remember it very clearly and it happened all of a sudden on on just one occasion it was all kind of addressed the very sort of matter of fact physical this is going to happen and and these changes are going to but what we didn't talk about were the 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 sort of feelings that went with all of those changes it was all about Mm -hmm. you're going to get hair, and this is going to get bigger and your voice is going to get deeper but not actually how you might think and feel and think about others and that i think was 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 missing thinking back i mean it didn't really occur to me at, at the time of course but thinking back that
2: that bit was really missing yeah for yeah. me because i knew i was gay but i hadn't told anyone because it was like the early 90s and i yeah. just would wouldn't it wasn't something you could say back then. i felt like none of the stuff that we were taught at school which is why i didn't really talk about sex education earlier in the previous question really applied to me at all like i just completely felt like oh fantastic that's how girls are going to get pregnant and have babies. And, you know, I didn't actually even realise condoms could would apply. I didn't really understand how gay sex would work at all. Like, no, none of that information was talked about. Um, so, for me, in, and it probably is still lacking heavily nowadays as well, I expect.
0: I was going to say in, that. In
2: kind of other sexualities and identities and how puberty and sexual feelings and stuff like that could work if you're not straight
0: yeah I was just gonna say that I wondered whether actually we've even started to bridge that gap at all particularly because I know so my my eldest is 14 and he has friends at school that are gay and I hadn't even ever really think to ask like ignorant on my part how, how was was that addressed now in in sex education at your school like is that more of a conversation because it's not amongst the children themselves, it's not a problem. Everyone has, they all talk about it. It's nothing that's, you know, on the whole, it's a lot more open. But I just don't know whether that education system has necessarily caught up on that front at all. I would
2: absolutely say it hasn't at all. And, you know, this is a time where they're still um, debating whether or not they should even introduce kids at school to the fact same-sex parents exist. So I very much doubt that, they're learning wow. things like that. And you know what? The real worrying thing about that is as well means that gay kids potentially aren't learning about sexually transmitted d- diseases and things that actually yeah, might apply to them.
1: Course. Well, I think I think when it comes to sex education in school, I mean, the fact that it was only, I think the year before last, that it was made compulsory that schools have to teach some sex education. I mean, that's how behind we are. I saw a really interesting post the other day on Instagram where it was a list of things that, that children do learn in school. It was how to do eight times table, how, like all this useless stuff, the things that they should actually be learning and a lot of it around understanding feelings and emotions and being kind and like just the being able to adapt, adaptability and just the actual life skills that we need to survive in in the modern world. Um Okay, before we move on to the next bit, I just wanted to ask, can you remember any embarrassing moments when you were going through The puberty stage of life, anything that jumps out that you're willing to share?
2: Well, one thing that I remember that I was telling Tom about, and he was quite surprised at this because I mentioned that I was quite shy, and this is kind of relating to that. And my dad, even though he was around, just didn't help with teaching me, you know, about anything to do with puberty at all. And one of the things that I found really, really embarrassing was shaving because I just didn't know how to do it. And I was getting, like, at about age 13 or 14, sprouting hairs on my chin and everywhere, and it was all a bit messy as well, sort of scruffy. Hair was growing on one side and not the other. Okay. And so I remember, and I don't know, I, had, well, I can't remember where I got it from, but I found an electric shaver, and it was probably, like, at the back of my dad's cupboard in, like, a travel bag or something. And I remember thinking, bloody hell, it's really noisy. And, like, literally hiding under my duvet, Shave, trying to shave these hairs off my face and the shaver thing was absolutely useless it was probably from like sixties or something <laughs> and uh, just being really really ashamed or embarrassed about somebody hearing it and one of my parents coming in and finding me with the shaver and I know that's obviously quite an extreme anecdote but for me that was probably the most embarrassing part of puberty
1: yeah Well, I guess there's this expectation, isn't there? All of a sudden you've gone from being a boy to a man and things are different and you need to learn new skills. But I think nowadays I would have YouTubed it. Skills need to be learned.
0: (laughs) Well, exactly. The thing is like now, like you could have YouTubed it. There's so much there Mm. that you can kind of, which is kind of a blessing and a curse because you can bypass a parent or someone that actually knows you, cares about you, can put any kind of context to something. And you can have a step-by-step very matter-of-fact that would tell you how to do something, but that is a whole other area that you're kind of missing with the depth that goes with all of these things or like to understand how you felt about that situation. It could tell you how to do it, but it wouldn't necessarily help you with feeling embarrassed or couldn't put your mind at ease. So.
1: I remember my first embarrassing moment was when I first detected that I had underarm hair. And that happened to me quite early. I think I was still at primary school. And I remember the first detecting it and thinking, I've got swimming on Thursday. We had swimming and Mm -hmm. thought, what am I going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to cope with this? Um, so that happened quite early. But then a bit like you, Peter, my first period didn't come till I was 13. And by Mm -hmm. the time it came, I was waiting for it. I'm like, it's not fair. I want my period. (laughs) I've obviously spent the next. 30 years of my life wishing I didn't have one. Yeah. But yeah, body hair and just thinking, well, what on earth, what what do you do with this? Especially because my mum had always drilled it into me. She said, whatever you do, never shave anything. Let me know when you need to address it and I'll take you to get it waxed. And I'm like, I don't want to get it waxed. I'd gone with her when she'd had her legs waxed. It looked so painful. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Panic.
0: <laughs> Actually saying that, I didn't even really thought. I remember being Quite young, I remember maybe I must have been in primary school still, and having a bath, and my mum's razor being on the side, and I had like downy hair, like all. I'm thinking, I'm going to shave my legs. I'm going to shave my legs, and that's because I'm definitely will be really grown up. I'm going to shave my legs, and absolutely just cutting myself to bits uh. with like a really shady like bic, just like really really go, and then having to know that my mum was going to know what I'd done and basically it was like you're that you've been stupid like you've been silly like why did you do that and I just remember that like I'd seen her shave her legs I thought, how difficult can this this be definitely can't be that hard I mean apparently to this day I still can't quite get it right because I'm still not immune from that but um apart from that I just think that not so much embarrassed about with girls but I remember being at school and if you ever had like come on when you quite weren't expecting to and having to try and be like, has anyone got anything? Like and like secretly trying to pass something from one or like putting it in a pencil case and passing the pencil case along or things like that. So just because you didn't want the boys to really know, whereas you didn't really mind with the girls and but yeah, not so that you would have to ask, or like God forbid that you would have to let a teacher know or something like that. That would be the case. But yeah, passing in pencil cases or like just That sort of in the girls' toilets of someone being out like rummaging to the bottom of your bag to try and find something for someone. So just that level of it wasn't something I was you would openly kind of talk about, but wasn't really embarrassed in front of the other girls, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm and I'm sure times have changed. I'm sure now girls are happy to just throw tampons across the classroom. Or are they? I don't know. But but let's move on and talk about, you know, you're all parents and when do you think is the best time to start talking to children about puberty? So, Peter, your oldest is fourteen, yeah, and and how old are your two boys?
0: So, I've got I've got a fourteen year old boy, um, and then I've got an eight year old girl, and then a five year old boy and a two year old boy.
1: Right. Okay. And then Jamie and Tom. Yeah, ours are ten and your, boy, your boys are younger. Yeah, ten and eleven. Ten and eleven. Okay. So, I guess, Peter, first, then, what do you think is the right time to start? talking about puberty and have you started conversations with any of your children yet
0: yeah I mean I'm quite an open person and to be honest like I used to get my kit off for a living so kind of boobs and bodies and things like that as an adult the whole of kind of Finbar's life in particular like I'm not particularly prudish on that front like I've this is my body you have a body everyone has a body it's not I've never really made a big deal out of that Um and obviously I was young when I had Finn, I was 19 when I had Finn Bar. And we kind of grew up together. So we've we're really close. And I've always been very open with him. And I remember from being quite young, if he'd come into the toilet with me or whatever, and I was on my period and I had to and he would ask and be like, Well, what's that? And I would be like, Well, this is this because most ladies are this happens and it's every month and whatever else. And I would always be actually, I feel like it's just as important to Teach my boys about periods and women's bodies, as it is to teach my girl about that side of it. Because I'd like to raise a, a man that's kind of aware and understanding of all the things that go along with that. So we were we were always pretty open about it, and he was quite. I mean, we're now. I remember when he first started getting hair under his armpits, and he was like, "Mom, look," because he only got it on one side, opposed to like both at the same time, and he was quite cool about it. Like he wasn't really, like he kind of laughed about it a little bit. And it had got to the point when I said to him, listen, I think maybe you need to start thinking about maybe when you want to start shaving or whatever, because you're kind of growing like quite a nice little mustache on either side, but not really filling in anywhere else. And like he, so my eldest is from my previous relationship and my, my younger three with my husband. He still sees his dad. He's got a really good relationship with his dad. So I said, listen, you can either speak, To dad about it, or you can speak to Mark about it. Like he's close with my husband, and I think um, my my husband was like, actually, I've just here. Look, have this. Like he'd come back from flying and had like a travel set of whatever. He's like, you can have that. That had like a shaving cream, and I'll show you what to do. But yeah, we spoke from very young, and even in terms of like the real names for what things were as well, all the time. Like we weren't ever like a Mickey and Minnie kind of situation. I would been like, right, well, actually, this is really called this is what the proper name is but so just from my point of view as a parent as well from all sorts of things a if there was ever anything medically that you knew what you were talking about so that you could tell somebody and also from and it sounds like really overprotective but from like a safety point of view that you know like this is what this is called this is the people that is okay to kind of have anything to do with that would be if you needed to speak to a doctor or mum or whatever else but You need to be equipped with that information. Um, But my daughter is uh, like a different kettle of fish altogether. She wants to know everything about everything. And especially when I had um, the younger two, she wanted to know everything about labor, everything about what goes on with that. What does that look like? How does that happen? And I was just pretty honest with her. Like, I was like, there's no need for me to be like, go years above what you need to know graph but I will answer your questions in the frankest way I I can because I feel like the more information I can arm you with the better equipped you're going to kind of be to deal with everything but I think like we touched on before it's the emotional side of things I wasn't prepared for the emotions that came with the hormone change in my in my son I hadn't I'd always thought oh gosh like when Delilah gets older and I hadn't ever really like stupid given a thought to actually when those hormones came in like I remember about year, him being in like year five and him just it hitting him like a ton of bricks that first kind of like surge of mm-hmm. emotion and being upset or cross or bo- just like hot but not really knowing why he felt a bit emotional about everything and just trying to be like this is gonna you're gonna be able to ride this out it's normal to feel like you don't know if you feel a bit happy or sad or cross or that something that wouldn't normally make you feel upset has suddenly tipped you over the edge. Like, that's that's okay. But I wasn't really prepared, I don't think, for it in my boy, to be honest. I'd kind of really mentally blocked it out for my girl, I guess, naively.
1: It's really interesting because that's exactly what you were saying earlier about kind of the physical changes. We kind of knew they were coming. We were at least informed to expect it, but the emotional changes that that you go through during puberty that's not really spoken about and perhaps the children going through it but both parents that can come as a bit of a shock
0: yeah I definitely think If you could make a positive difference to the environment just by your choice of sanitary towel, Superdrug have created Luna, a range of day and night towels that are made from organic cotton, certified sustainable pulp, and renewable plant-based plastics, as well as being just as absorbent as other leading organic brands. If every own brand ultra-towel customer switched to Luna Superdrug, we'd stop 857 kilograms of fossil fuel-based plastic going to landfill. So make a kinder choice. Choose Luna.
1: Tom and Jamie, so your boys are 10 and 11. Have you started having conversations yet? Yeah, we have.
3: We've sort of made quite a conscious decision, if you'd like, to to start those conversations as early as possible. And, uh, you know, I I mentioned earlier on that my my dad sort of gave me the talk and it lasted, you know, 30 minutes and it was just a total dump of information, far too much to take in all all at once. So with that in mind, I've I've tried, and I I know that Jamie takes the same approach, it's just just sort of drip, actually, a drip, drip of information and you know age appropriate conversations but just to encourage that those kinds of conversations as early as possible has been really important to us and the other thing that we try to do is to have those conversations in very very sort of neutral environments you know kind of casually you know when you're in the supermarket or you're you're driving to school or it's not kind of a right we're sitting down and we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about this it's just to just find a nice point in a natural conversation to 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 just just toss in an idea just to see if it, if it works. And, and you do
2: the same thing. And I think it works really well. I talk to them on the school run about everything. It's like literally the school run, it's about half an hour every morning and evening. And we talk about their earliest memories, what their favourite music is. And like our little and Richard, he's actually doing or just done a session at school about puberty literally about two days ago, which was perfect. Oh, I that's What we were doing today and I said come on Richard you can tell me a little bit about puberty then how's it all work and you know we're just being really really candid and positive about it and the other thing we're doing because you know I mentioned that I didn't have any of this as a child and it was made the whole thing really hard and embarrassing I have decided or we've decided that we're just going to celebrate every little change. So like, it's like, woohoo, I've got a hair under my armpit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Or I've got a spark daddy, you know, everything's really positive and like it's sort of almost like a competition. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and the boys are really competitive as well. So, you know, the fact Lyle's got, starting to get spots, he's like, eh, look at this, Richard,
1: you know. Yeah, he's winning the race. <laughs> yeah, just,
2: it just flips it completely on its head. So rather than being embarrassing, it's kind of like actually a real kind of reward
0: yeah yeah in a lot of other cultures it is a lot more celebrated that sort of yeah. becoming a man or a woman. That I feel like is. we're kind of a little bit or we're a bit uh aside from that
1: yeah and that we don't celebrate it it's what I love what what you've all said there actually is the importance of not making a big deal of it because that will make it Uncomfortable, but just slipping it into normal conversation because that's what exactly what it should be. You know, these are our bodies that like we know them and will continue to know them better than anyone else for the rest of our whole lives. And we should celebrate them. And I've heard that before. The school run. Do you, is that in a car? The school run?
2: Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's something about being in a car with your child that takes the intensity out of everything because you don't have to have eye contact. You can have yep. a fleeting little look, but you can have that conversation without the intensity of somebody looking at your eyes. Yeah. So I think it makes that's one of the reasons it makes it a bit more comfortable than at the dinner table, for example. And when... there's
0: nowhere to escape. Yeah.
1: They can't run <laughs> and, <they're>... <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's more comfortable to have little pauses, isn't it? You can have a little pause to think. You don't feel like you have to. Do answer straight away you can have a bit of music on in the background um, yeah it's a really good really good um environment we
2: just we really enjoy the school i know other parents absolutely dread it every day but actually we like lo- we really enjoy it because it's really the only time of day as well where me and the lads are together for any yeah. period of time because otherwise we get home and we all scatter and get on with our own stuff and uh, so do all... so
1: they get on well with each other no not really <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: they they play together, don't they, on the PlayStation? They, and they have their occasional together. moment. They sort of play together yeah. because they would never describe themselves as friends.
1: No, OK. <laughs> I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about is it's something that you referred to earlier, Peter. We couldn't go to the internet or online to find out the answers to our questions. But of course now children can. They can find this information um, anywhere. So they're in some ways they're very well informed, but they're not always necessarily getting the type of information or receiving it in the way that you might want them to how do you negotiate that as parents
0: it's it's really hard because it's something that I'm super aware of is that I can look back and I think it feels like five minutes ago that I was the same age as them but it is a different world altogether like we were not navigating in the same way the same pressures the same levels of information the same fake news yeah you'd have a a rumour or someone's older brother might have said something to someone or, and that's how it would get passed down as a bit of a Chinese whisper. But now you're drowning in information and pressures and comparisons. And I have to make a real conscious effort to remind myself that you're not walking the same path exactly the same way that, that I did. Um, and so, yeah, I sometimes like Finn in particular would be like, Oh, did you see, did you see this or something, so-and-so, this happened or whatever. And I'd be like, he's very open. He would always talk to me about it. He would always be honest. And I think he is very aware of the fact that, listen, I might not... There'll be times when I might go, oh, mate, like, that might not have been... But I'm never going to, like, scold him for making a bad decision. I'm never going to... I would let him know. I'm never going to blindly back him on something. I'll always be there to support you and let's find a way around something. But it is just that kind I think it's just putting in place that support that you can be honest without fear of like retribution and that you can be wrong, that you could share some information that you thought was correct and stand corrected. And that's not embarrassing. You can say what you think something might be or that, you know, you might've seen, I think it's definitely harder as they get older and it's like in terms of films they're watching or stuff they're following on you, like some, there's been only really the odd occasion. So even now at 14, it's like, so he has, he's on Instagram and it's like, you can have Instagram, but I have all your login details. And at any point that I'd said I wanted to look at your messages or whatever else, that's the deal. Because whilst you live under my roof and whilst we are all a part of a family like this together, I didn't make all the best decisions when I was 14 or 15. And that's not to say that you can't make mistakes or get things wrong, but I want to keep you safe, basically, is the long and the short of it. And I think it's just that not being scared to get something wrong or to say that you are, oh, you heard this or you think that might be the way and to actually mean to go, no, that isn't actually how it works or that isn't because you cannot, you're naive to think that you can be completely in control of everything they're seeing, of every bit of information that even if they haven't got it, that someone else on the school bus has shown them a video of or this, that and the other. So I think once you kind of get your head around the fact that you can't protect them from the fake news, but that you're there with the correct information and you're not going to say that they're stupid or they're wrong, that you're kind of on the right path.
1: Yeah, that space to share. So, so Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith with their children, and they have, I think they call it the circle of trust or the circle of something. And with their children, they've always had this rule that if you come and tell us, you can tell us anything. You Mm -hmm. may have broken the law. It doesn't matter what it is. If you tell us in the circle of trust then we won't punish you we will just support you um but if we find out that you've done something wrong outside of the circle of trust when you've always got that opportunity to step into the circle and tell us well then you know you will be punished severely. Um, yeah. So they've always had that. That's the way they've created that space. There's so many different ways of parenting, aren't there? There's no right yeah, or yeah. wrong. That's their way. But Will Smith, I think when his daughter got to a certain age into her later teens and she was coming into the circle of trust to kind of share things and get advice about her relationships, there came a point when he walked out of the room and said, from now on, the circle of trust is just with your mother. I don't want to hear this yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jamie... And, and Tom, what, what about you? What are your views?
2: Yeah, well, we're quite realistic about what the worst case scenarios could be. But also, we're pretty savvy with our tech in our family. Um, so the boys have both got devices that they can use for things like YouTube. and They're not allowed on Instagram and social media yet because they're still too, too young. But they do have access to apps like YouTube. And we've been really, really careful about the parental settings and and the moderation on there basically, because we are really worried about the fact they could swipe and see something they really shouldn't be seeing on YouTube or something might come up next, you know, that might hurt their feelings or raise questions that we're not ready to answer. Um, For us, because the kids are still so little, it's just really a case of just constant supervision and they can't sit in their bedrooms on devices, they have to do it downstairs. Um, we've just got a little kind of set of rules which we try and stick to. But of course, Lyle's now in secondary school. So all the kids have phones with them, even though they're not supposed to. Lyle doesn't take kids to school though. And so, you know, who knows what they're seeing, but we've got quite an open relationship with them. They're not embarrassed to come and talk to us about things that worry them. And, you know, with being adoptive parents as well, that's always been a real big deal to us. The fact that we really want them to be able to talk to us if they're feeling uncomfortable or something's not quite right um, because we adopted them when they were a bit older. So, you know, it just means there's always that communication channel with us if they've got any kind of trauma or or memories or something like that that comes up. And this really is the same thing. Uh, it, It all falls into the same thing.
1: do you know what it's hard isn't it This parenting malarkey I'm not a parent yet and there's so much to think about it's really tricky gosh I
0: think I think as well it's almost a little bit I find is you know like exactly how you guys were just saying is you can control what you can control and you can put the measures in place when you're at home and you can but you can't berate yourself over the fact that you can't control what you know, so and so in the class is going to show you can't, you can only be there to kind of deal with what comes off the other side of that because you would be an absolute nervous wreck for, for no actual good outcome because you cannot control you, the uncontrollable. So it is just a case of keeping what you can control. And it's amazing, like to just hear you speak then, saying about, you know, like being adoptive parents, there's that level of trust and openness and frankness that's kind of already there with you guys because of like the amazing journey that you guys have had to get to where you are Mm -hmm. so it's a real amazing sign base base level of trust and openness that's there that will you know i think make those sort of things you're already one step ahead i think of a, a lot of people would be in that situation because you've got that that level of trust and and communication already there
2: I was going to say, that, that building that kind of trust was all part of the adoption process, really, because when they're placed with adopted children, it's a very conscious process that you're going through to build a bond and attachment with the kids. Because, because when they first come to live with you, they've got to get around the idea that you're their parents forever now. <laughs> so yeah. that, that was how that started. And I do feel like it's be, become an advantage for us. And other parents actually have pointed out you know, when they witnessed a conversation between us and the boys, uh, they sort of pointed out, gosh, that was grown up yeah you know so
1: lovely (laughs) that's really lovely and I'm I'm, you know I'm sure when you adopt children of course you know there are loads of additional challenges that come with that but one of the beautiful things is that we're your parents and that's because we love you so much we choose to be your parents like we wanted you so much it's really beautiful
0: Um, really special
1: when you see pictures of the four of you together it's just it's such a beautiful image I think it really is but I wanted to I did want to ask you about sexuality puberty obviously isn't just about periods and body odour and wet dreams it might also be the time when your your child starts to consider their own sexuality so Jamie and Tom what are some ways that you would advise parents in speaking to their children about this topic?
2: Yeah so with us being a same-sex couple it, of course it's almost the norm for our boys to see many people we've got lesbian friends with children, Tom's brother's gay as well, and he's got a partner and they've got an adopted child. So our kids really are growing up in quite a normal, environment where being gay or any other sexuality is quite normal for them. Um, But saying that, we do still keep the conversation open with them and I think that's what it is. I think that's the answer to this. And I think it's it's similar to talking about puberty. Talking about sexuality with the kids can be something that just is ongoing. So they always know, however they feel, that what they're feeling is right and not wrong. Um, so for instance, and again, it's on the school run usually that we're talking about stuff like this. The kids are still I really- old school really,
1: run. <laughs> the kids
2: are still really embarrassed about talking about girls. Um, which it doesn't stop me talking about them because yeah. I don't mind whether they're embarrassed or not. I wanna know. So, for example, with our little and rich, I mean, he's he's really embarrassed about talking about girls, and I think it's because he's got a crush on a couple of them in his class. But when I talk about girls in his class, I always remember to throw in, you know, what about the boys, you know, or, or I, I talk about their hypothetical first date you know in a couple of years time and I say to Richard things like you know oh, I can't wait for you to go on a date with your first girlfriend or boyfriend I don't mind you know who it is as long as they're nice and we keep that going don't we Tom in conversations with them and it's always quite jovial you know so it so it doesn't feel too heavy and serious yeah
1: yeah um,
2: but I think just throwing in the occasional comment about boys or girls just kind of make, could make kids that are feeling awkward about their sexuality or things they're feeling when they grow up, make it feel a little bit more ordinary and right.
1: Well, Jamie, you mentioned that you knew from quite a young age that you were gay, yes. but nobody really spoke to you about it. So I didn't know what it meant, how,
2: to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. How, you know, obviously th- things have moved on such a, such a lot in the last few decades, but how... Could things have been better for you? What would have made that whole period of your life much more comfortable, much much yeah. more right, actually, much more fair?
3: I I, I also knew from a, from a very early age, and I think the thing that could have helped me feel a little bit more comfortable is to actually see uh, role models, people on the television, or, or, or couples um uh, you know or anywhere really there was, there, there was nothing, nobody, no access to anything other than total you know straight relationships that's all we uh, all we saw um so that made it very difficult for me to work out what on earth was i what what was i thinking why did i why was I having? You know these thoughts when it, apparently nobody else was. Um, so yeah, having having role models around me
2: would have would have really helped. Back um, then there was no Tom Daly. There were no like ordinary celebrity gay or lesbian people. There were no gay parents. Um, and there was
0: no representation at all it in any it. form, is there?
2: And you know, I think I was probably about seven or eight when I first had my crush on a boy. Um, but I would have had absolutely no way of identifying that was what I was feeling. And even then going into secondary school, homophobia was, it was like almost the the rules that we have now about homophobia and being gay were completely flipped, where being homophobic back then in the early nineties was the right way to be. Being gay was completely, horrendously, totally the wrong way to be. And in almost every walk of life that was really beaten into me as as a child. Which made it really, really difficult to tell like, my close friends and family uh, when I was ready that I was gay. I had to wait till I was about twenty in order to sort of feel, you know, comfortable enough that I'm not going to be completely rejected by everybody. Um, it's, and it, you know what? I think it still is hard for kids to come out and talk about sexuality. Um, I don't necessarily think our kids would find it that hard, you know, because they're in a they they live in an environment where it's completely ordinary. But I think other kids, I think parents really need to make a conscientious effort to just kind of, even just the occasional quick mention of somebody they know that's gay and doing really well in life. You know, that's all it takes. You know, oh, for example, my my friend's daughter, she's a lesbian. Did you know she's got a job as a dentist? Or, you know, anything like that, really. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine, I I, just dropping it, it in there. Yeah. I do have yeah. a lot more. I really have like high hopes for like our generation of children that come through now. So um my my sibling uh has transitioned. So I was born Rory, who now is transgender lives as Faye. And they are nine years younger than me. And so my children grew up knowing Uncle Rory. And I knew I would to be completely honest to say that I knew that it that they would want to transition is incorrect because I didn't and I that was a whole world away from anything that I had ever experienced um I would have probably I had a sneaking suspicion even though they'd always had girlfriends that maybe I thought maybe they would gay that like, we couldn't be more different in every possible way so there was quite a bit of me just thinking I don't know whether we're maybe just so different that that's what I can't quite put my finger on and then we we get on really really well and I'm um, we sort of had a conversation and I was like, listen, like, do you only like girls? And at the time they were like, no, but I've never had any relationship with, with a man, but I know that I'm kind of open to, to not just girls. And as it went on, they found it really difficult to speak to my mum, who's just obviously that generation, it was going to be something that it really, she, it blew her mind completely. And she really wanted to kind of understand everything Whereas I would kind of be quite open to be like, listen, excuse my ignorance if I say something in the wrong way, but like, what, like, tell me, like, talk to me about this. Like, let me know so that I can know how to navigate. And as well with the kids, I was like, look, you have to understand that they're not going to care. They love you regardless, but especially the younger ones, they've known you as Rory. So you're going to have to realize that overnight they're going to, you know, you want to be known as a different name they're not going to just remember that and overnight they're going to be able to get that right every single time and they were like look that's fine and even my youngest now so Frey has got additional needs he's five he um didn't speak till a lot later like his communication and social skills are are not quite age appropriate so he really struggles to kind of get his head around around that but Finbar definitely so he was like 10 at the time 11 and he was like yeah cool like no problem wasn't and he was probably the first person that consistently would always get uh you know the name change right would always like would ask questions but it wasn't a big deal and the same with Delilah it was kind of just not a big not a big thing like would comment like that she really liked what Faye was wearing or this that and the other and found their own way to that new relationship so I have really high hopes for if it's sort of spoken about more if it's represented more and if it's just like instead of just teaching your children about like a demographic of this it's like like you say that they're a dentist or they're an individual they're a person they're no different to anybody else but this is what that looks like so I've got high hopes for our, our kids on that front my
1: nephew's ten, and at his school they had an LGBTQ plus week at school okay. at their primary school. So my brother told me my brother told me about it because uh, he said they'd all had a letter sent home. I um, mean, it goes to quite a progressive primary school. They don't wear uniform, and like they they like to have that you know they talk about vegan and that type, sort of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So it is it's a really lovely progressive primary school. So they sent letters home to the parents to inform them that they were going to do this out of courtesy and it was an opt-out option if anybody thought that it was inappropriate in any way and which and it was great that parents didn't so he learned about it so I had a conversation with him about it and he got really embarrassed and as it turned out he wasn't embarrassed at all about the fact that it was LGBTQ plus he was just embarrassed to talk about Girls or he's tense. It's the same. It's like, Oh God, don't talk to me about any of this stuff. But it was interesting because at first when I, when he seemed a bit embarrassed, I thought, Oh, I wonder why he found that embarrassing. But it's just, yeah, he's just at that age where anything yeah. of that nature is, is embarrassing for him. So yeah, so hopefully, you know, progress because actually, you know, all of your children are very lucky in that they have personal experience, lived experience. They know family members. Um, who are of, you know, of diverse sexual backgrounds, but a lot of children will never, will never meet anybody. Mm. And it's those children, if, when they start to reach the age where they are thinking about their own sexuality, those are the, the children who are still gonna go through you know, what you guys went through when you were young in that it must be just a really confusing and lonely. Lonely. Well, at least we've
2: prepared our kids then to be like an ambassador. And so if you yeah. have exactly. a child whose parents might be homophobic or religious or whatever reason yeah. they don't know about it, like yeah. they will quite confidently say, well, my dad's a gay and it's all fine, you know, yeah. you can get married, <laughs> you can adopt children or, you know, all these different options. They, they're really clued up. And I bet I bet there's loads of other kids like that as well.
1: That's wicked. And do your children call one of you dad and one of you daddy? Yeah. Yeah, who's who?
2: No, Lyle would never admit that because in front of his friends, we're both dad. Right, yeah. I'm Daddy and Tom's Dad.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> so cute. Um, right, I'm going to speed us along because we're, we're using up so much time, but it's really interesting. Um, Peter, I wanted mm. to ask you about using scenarios because that can be a great way to get children to relate to a topic. Is this something you've done or would you do this when discussing puberty with your children?
0: Yeah, but not in, I think, it's similar to what James was saying. It's like you not making it like, right, we're going to sit down and plan out this scenario, like a chess game. So it would be like, oh, because, you know, if if you did this and then this, ha- it, was, it has to kind of just be a natural way. I feel like the more you can kind of see a situation arise or a conversation and sort of pick up that that might be a good time to say, well, this had happened. And I think we, like I'd mentioned, I know it isn't all periods, et cetera, but it's like, I would always make a point of, you know, like if we were in the supermarket, I would say to Finnbar, could you just grab me that pack of sanitary towels or whatever else? Because I know that as a even now as an adult, it took me a long time. You know, like if I was buying tampons or, you know, something like that, I would choose a cashier that was a girl opposed to go to a boy. And, you know, I just, that sort of those scenarios in an everyday basis is just like, that is a chance to kind of talk about or if to bring that up, to bring that into conversation, like an everyday scenario, I find it easier that way than like hypothetical on anything. and I think it's it's really sometimes you don't it's a curveball sometimes you get and I've had a few curveballs, especially with Finn, that as a mom, as a woman, I was not prepared to have to have that conversation off the cuff with with him, and you had to think pretty fast on how to deal with it. And the same if I've had like, if I'm two one or I've like snapped about something to be like, Do you know what? To to realize that that probably wasn't your fault. Like I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed and to say, Do you know what, mate? Like you didn't really deserve me to bite your head up about that, but this is the situation. And sometimes when this is the same way, when you've had hormones that sometimes I just feel a bit overwhelmed by everything. It wasn't really your fault. But this is and kind of just broaching it in that natural way rather than kind of playing out too much of a scenario. It's just using those little blips that come in in everyday life as a chance to kind of like put something in here or like nip something in the bud there. So yeah.
1: I think one of, one of the biggest barriers that parents are going to have when it comes to having these conversations with their children is embarrassment and we've we've spoken about how it's not surprising because actually we were brought up and a lot of things were taboo. Um so to everybody that really what what would your advice be to help parents combat both their own embarrassment around these topics and um and also if their child feels embarrassed what can you do to make it more comfortable?
2: You know, I just think jump in with both feet. And uh, as an adoptive parent, there have been so many different milestones, horrendous nerve-wracking situations and scenarios where I've just had to sort of go for it and get over my nerves and, and, you know, taking the kids for their first eye test or to the doctors or ears tests and all these different various things that you have to go through, all these firsts, talking about puberty and sexuality and bodies it's always going to be a lot easier than you expect. So you just need to get over the initial nerves and say, hey, fancy a little chat? Come sit down, you know, somewhere comfy, nice cup of tea, and maybe plan a few simple, easy questions to start with. Our boys are super competitive
3: and they love nothing more than a kind of quiz type challenge where they get to throw the answers out. So...
1: Puberty yeah, quiz. I, I, quiz. Yes. quiz. And
3: I was doing it yesterday with them, with this, uh, with this uh, broadcast uh, podcast in mind, just to sort of just test the water, see how much they did know. Little had had his puberty class at school, so I put him to the test. And it was a like, right? Name me five things of this. Can you t- can you hoop? The first person to call out the answer for this win? And they just go for it. They love it, and they dive straight in, and they can, you know, it kind of breaks down the embarrassment factor. Turn it into a game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to work brilliantly. Granted, but I, I just think it has to be uh, approached with a bit of fun, uh, perhaps a giggle or two. Who not make it who too. Won't, make, Richard. Yeah, Richard will Don't make it too. Great don't don't make good. it too serious, and allow them to have the confidence to, to to ask questions without feeling embarrassed. And if you can have a bit of a giggle on uh, along the way, then I think that's great. And that's that's kind of the approach that I, I've
1: taken. Great advice.
0: Yeah that sounds no that sounds like a, a good one I should think about games we've got quite a competitive household also <laughs> um but yeah I think it is just that I think it is it to not take it too seriously if you can kind of find that light side of it and yeah. and to just kind of let them know that look we've all we've all had to go through this bit to get the fact that you know we're the age that we are most of us have kind of been somewhere along the line where you are and yet you know what I remember as a kid when things were embarrassing or if I was going to have to say something I thought I was going to be in trouble I used to go right when this song finishes yes I'm just going to have to say it yeah the minute this song finishes that's when I'm going to have to say it and you'd be thinking oh my gosh you'd come into the last verse and you're like okay (laughs) and I think sometimes it is it's just like right you've got to just you know, like bite the bullet a little bit, and like you say, it nine times out of ten, it's not actually going to be as bad as you think, and I think just just show that human side of yourself as a parent, which is you don't have all the answers just because you're a parent, you still make mistakes, you still feel embarrassed and uh, the same as anybody else, like you are all in it together, and yeah. I think that kind of sharing as much as you can, like sharing and openness of that emotions, good and bad, is just kind of brings it back down to that kind of everyone level playing field. But yeah, just yeah make it as lighthearted. And and I think
1: you know it's it's okay and it's normal to feel embarrassed, to feel uncomfortable. And sometimes even yeah, sharing that with your child. If you you know, if you just they're gonna know that you're uncomfortable and embarrassed, you can't cover it up. Just saying, look, I'll be really honest with you. I find talking about this stuff uncomfortable because my parents didn't really talk to me about it very much. But I want to make sure that I talk to you about it because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable when you have these conversations when you're older. And I think some children will probably turn around and be like, well, I'm not embarrassed. They might even surprise their parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, is is it important to discuss tactics with other parents? Have you guys got an advice from from your friends?
2: The other day, my friend Zoe came out, who was the first mum I ever met when I just adopted the boys. So she's always been there with me the whole way along. And her little boy Alfie is in the same class, or has been in the same class as Lyle all the way through. And we had a little conversation about this, about the fact that Alfie apparently overnight, when he started year seven, got really moody. And she said, Has Lyle got moody as well? And I said, Yeah, he has been a little bit moody the last few weeks, to be honest. But to be be fair, I think that might be because Richard is like at him the whole time, like a sort of yappy little dog. But that was quite nice to sort of reassure one another that we've both now got moody 11 year old boys and they're actually quite ordinary.
1: (laughs) It's like like that Kevin sketch, isn't it, from Harry Enfield?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it
1: happens, (laughs) doesn't
0: it? Um, For me, I think it's, I think you have to always remember as well, like something that parenting in general is like that comparison, you know, like, so what your child's journey and experience is and it is not necessarily going to be the same. So as long as you're sharing in the kind of not like, well, mine isn't doing that. Why is yours? doing? Like it's, it's never going to be that simple, but I obviously I had none of my friends had children for they didn't have their first children so I was sort of having my second like six years after so I've always had that bit of a head start so to my closest friends I can always be like oh wait for this bit because that's going to be really fun um, but yeah I think it is just sharing because we're it's a we're learning as well as yeah. parents as you're going mm-hmm. along like you're get you're facing these hurdles for the first time too so I think it's as important as the journey they're going through to be able to ex- explain the ups and downs is actually to be able to share that as a parent, because then this sounds horrific, but there's times when you don't even recognize that child that you knew that little boy or little girl that you knew that kind of all of a sudden, like they're becoming their own person. And sometimes I was, I remember with Finn and he would say or do something. And I think if you'd have asked me, six months ago whether that would ever have been a possibility. And he is like an a, such a good boy, like he's never really given me any problems. But you're allowed to have times where you're a bit like, I am not sure if I'm too keen on you, like about this. And I hope that this bit, hope we can weather this storm because I'd quite like the person that I knew before this to bit, and it is, you know, it's ups and downs. So I think you have to allow yourself to also be like well, this is a bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Like, I don't know if I've quite got a handle on that. So for me, it's that level of sharing that's kind of helped
1: and, and I guess parenting is it's lifelong learning isn't it? The skill of parenting oh, yeah. you'll adapt you'll change and, and that kind of leads me on to my last question for for each of you um firstly, just to say that you are all incredible people, and your children are very lucky to have you as parents and I hope that they know that but but the final question is what what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned about parenting and in particular about having an open relationship? with your children we'll come to you first Peter
0: for me that you could have 100 children and your way of doing things won't work for all of them so like how I pet like how I've done things with Bimba uh, is definitely not going to be the same way that I can do things that I would that would work with and it is just that not feeling like you've failed because the way that you did something that worked in one instance doesn't work the other so it is just that that you're learning just to give yourself a break that you're trying to learn but that also that the being open it's got so many benefits for both is that you need to show that like my mum for example was like very steely and nothing not impenetrable to anything nothing of course that was absolute nonsense but I definitely found that hard then to ever want to ask for help for anything because I saw that as a real weakness because that was how, you know, and especially as that generation of woman, like she was a very career based. So to show that weakness was nothing there. So you have to just try and remember that how you deal with things, how you present what you hide away. If you, you can't be strong all the time, things are going to be, and that's not to say you break down and like, like blob all over your children, but you are a human being, and I think actually to show that it's okay to not be okay, it's okay to find things difficult, it's okay to try things and not get them right, just to have that level of understanding that you're a parent, you're not a robot, as helpful. And
1: essentially, every single thing, every single thing you do, you know, you're role modeling, aren't you? Your it's like you learnt from your mum that you 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 were afraid to show weakness. You know, your children are yeah. learning. From the way you are all the time and and you know like we've spoken about a lot here openness and and kindness and honesty are values that are really important yeah definitely Jamie and Tom what do you
3: yeah well think? I, guess, I guess actually my thoughts are very similar to Peter's you know we, we don't get an instruction book when we when we get children we, we don't get a, a how-to guide and really you've got to accept that you are making it up as you go along and you're not going to get it right. You, you are going to have hiccups and make mistakes. And I guess it's, it's acknowledging that, understanding it, it, it you know, expecting the unexpected uh, and uh, being able to just accept that it's not always going to go right first time. It's easier said than done, of course, but that, that's what I've learned.
2: And I guess like, because of the way I grew up in such a prudish environment, my real learning so far is just to like celebrate the body and changes and um, feelings uh, just so everything's all out in the open and it's there to be talked about
1: well I think that's a lovely note for us to end on thank you so so much Jamie Tom and Peter for joining me today it's been amazing having you on the podcast thank it's a you
3: pleasure
1: thank you Make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you're loving Super Drugs' healthful podcast, do leave us a review.